The auditorium chairs were delivered uh, this week on Thursday. Let me tell you a little bit about that. Uh, Nash and Fred coordinated help to come unload. Thank you, brothers, for for that. And I heard from the delivery company that they'd be arriving between 4 and 4.30 on Thursday afternoon. So the word went out. Uh, Brothers came to help at 4 o'clock. They arrived at 5.30. Okay. Uh, We were the first scheduled delivery, right? I didn't choose Thursday. They chose Thursday. So the tractor trailer, full tractor trailer pulled in. Uh, We opened up um, the door and and found that our chairs, they're stacks of 13 on metal pallets, uh, boxed and shrink-wrapped or shrink-wrapped and and boxed uh, for us to unload. Uh, They were there behind seven by four rows of another church's chairs that we had to move out of the way to get our chairs. Uh, So they were going to like, well, you know, maybe we'll deliver there in Ohio and then we'll come back. I'm like, no, we're not taking a Monday delivery. We're taking a Thursday delivery. Uh, Let's do it. So Nash and Brett and I inside, Eli ended up in there too. And the guys on the outside, I don't know what happened. I I lost sight of daylight. It was way in the back. So we moved all of their, their pallets out of the way to get to our chairs. Uh, a couple injuries along the way. My ears still sore. A pallet of chairs fell on me. Uh, my fault. Uh, when we were nearly done, the driver had finally gotten through to the manufacturer to let us know that the chairs that we had moved out of the way were identical to our chairs behind those, and we could have just taken those. We had three pallets left, and I said, no, our chair stacks are going to have risen King Church stamped on that box that we're going to burn. Eventually, not the chairs, the boxes. So it was an interesting situation, to say the least, and a great opportunity for me to test out in my own heart the theme of today's sermon, giving thanks in everything. Colossians 3, verse 17 Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I don't know how much you've studied God's word to teach it. I hope you study it for yourself. It is a, to call it a, a mine is, is, is slight, is small, um, there's, I've heard it likened to this, right? There's just, if you walk around to where there's a, a, a mine, gold mine hidden, right? You're going to find pieces of gold on the surface. Uh, just easy stuff to just pick up. And as you start to dig, uh, you're going to access more. And it's like every week, you know, there's a couple things on the ground and I'm, I'm almost always like, yeah, but, but 40 minutes to fill. Uh, yes, that actually is my goal on a weekly basis, 40 minutes, um, but then you get into the mine and you're digging it out and you're like, okay, like what, what is here? How do I express this truth? How does this connect to other passages? And I feel like I'm walking into this, this cave, this mine with a pick, uh, just, just chipping at, at different pieces of the wall. And then every week uh, it hits that vein that just causes this flood of, <laughs> flood of truth and flood of wisdom and flood of riches from the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, that just almost overwhelms me. In a matter of minutes, it goes from, am I going to have enough to say to how am I going to say all of this? And then I do my best to just say all of it rather than summarizing or bringing it down. Um, this little passage, 
is, is so like that. Uh, where we're going to get when we try to dig into what everything means, <laughs> it means everything, um, I want to prepare you for what God has for you. Uh, I also want this truth to help us process uh, what God has already brought us through, to prepare us for what God does have for us uh, and to help process what we've already experienced uh, because those, those two things, right, they play into this and this passage and God revealing himself uh, through these simple words um, is sufficient for us, uh, for what, what is ahead of us and for what is behind us. Simple, really very simple passage. Two, two points, uh, do everything in the name of Jesus and give thanks for everything through Jesus. Where'd you get that? Uh, that's the verse. Do everything in the name of Jesus is the, is the first piece of this. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Well, what does everything mean? Well, we could start by comparing the things spoken of in the previous verses. Doing everything in the name of Jesus will include that which we've spoken of for the last month or so about putting off and putting on. So doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus means, verse 5, putting to death what is earthly in you, like sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, to, to put away anger and wrath and malice, slander and obscene talk from your mouth, to, to not lie to one another because of the reality that we have in Christ. It also means putting on as, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, that we're uh, in the name of Jesus, we are putting on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Uh, we bear with one another and, and forgive each other as we have complaints. Uh, above all, we put on love, binding us together. We are letting the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. We are being thankful. We are letting the word of Christ dwell richly in you. And then he summarizes that. Well, and then last week too, right? The word of Christ in teaching and admonishing one another as we sing. Uh, I, I was taught. I was admonished today. I trust that you were too. Um, this, the, Lord, the Lord led in the song selections today to bring us to this passage, which was supposed to be last week's passage, but it was this week's passage. And yet the, those songs uh, really do speak to this. Whatever you do, whatever you do means whatever you do. Uh, he, he spells that out further for us as well, because like I mentioned a few weeks ago, like, boy, we're always looking for exceptions, right? Like, oh, so just whatever I do, but not whatever I say? No, when, what you do in word uh, or indeed, totally comprehensive of what takes place in our lives. There's really no exceptions to this because the inward transformation that Christ by his Holy Spirit is working in us, uh, has worked in us, you have put off, you have put on, is working in us, you, you must put off, you must put on, that will be revealed outwardly. The transformation will reveal itself in outward tangible ways affecting our speech and our actions the fruit of our lives showing, right, the reality of what God has done in us. In verse 16, we were exhorted to sing with thankfulness in our hearts to God. 
And one author said that this attitude of praise and worship, that so many times we think that that is just reduced to the the 30 minutes or so that we sing songs together here, it is not. But that same attitude of praise and worship, thankfulness, is not just an inward attitude. It's not confined to what happens when Christians gather together for worship. The same attitude should lie behind and come to expression in everything done by Christians, both in their speech and in their actions. So our attitude of worship and thankfulness that is to characterize our gathering uh, isn't limited to here, right? It, we, we practice that and admonish that together, and then, we, then it flows out from here. That's what the gathering, we come together and then it flows out into everything that we do in word and in deed. What does in the name of Jesus mean? You know, you could take this literally, right? Just <laughs> in the name of Jesus, I open the refrigerator. In the, in the name of Jesus, I start the, I'm sure some people do that. Well, hey, you know, uh, it's keeping your mind on it. I'm not, I'm not going to fault you for it. Uh, in the name of Jesus, I, I, I buy these cans of tomato sauce from, from Aldi. Well, good. I mean, that's, that, that's part of everything. Micah chapter four, verse five uses this, in the name of, I think that we could also look at the commandment, right? Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Just not use it emptily, emptily but you are, you, you have the name of the Lord on you. You are his. You bear his name because you're part of his family. In Micah 4, 5, all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. So in this, in, in the name of is a worshipful thing. They, they walk this way because of who their God is and their relationship to their gods. We walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. Doing everything in the name of Jesus means that we are living according to our confession that he is Lord. I'm getting that from Do you remember chapter two, verse six? Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, which is a confessional, uh, doctrinal statement. It's not just receive Christ Jesus as your Lord. A lot of times we make that subjective and we make it personal, but what we talked about from that text was what it's not like, uh, he should be your Lord, uh, accept him as your Lord. It's proclaiming a truth. He is Lord. Right? So receive, receive, quote, Christ Jesus is Lord. Like live under that. And as you have confessed that to be true, received that as the truth that leads, uh, build, your life is built on, your eternity rests on, uh, walk in him. Walk in his name. Because this is, is sort of a bookend, right? This is a letter. It follows a flow of thought. There was a big, it was a prayer introduction, a praise introduction. There was some personal stuff that happened. And then it shifts into verse, chapter two, verse six. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. And what does that mean? It means taking the truths of chapter one, verses 15 to 20. This is who Christ is as Lord. And then being like, no, don't be dissuaded. Don't be distracted or taken captive by other things. And then he outlines what those things are. Instead, don't seek earthly things. Seek heavenly things. And as you seek heavenly things, 
That's going to make a change in your life of putting off and putting on the other bookend from so in him. Sorry about that. Moving too much. Just going bad? I'm thankful for the bad, the bad mic. If I, if I try to hold a handheld, I'm going to, my hands will move even more. And we'll, we'll figure this out. Bookends. <laughs> ah. Do you want to try it? Or do you, want to, you guys mind the clipping or do you want to see me try to hold? What do you think, Aaron? You're in charge. Sorry to draw attention to you, brother. Just keep going. A few more minutes. We'll keep going. A few more minutes. That's all I have. Bookends, chapter 2, verse 6. Walk in Christ as Lord. 3.17. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. These are, these are the central section of this letter. What does in his name mean? Under the authority of his lordship, embracing, embracing he is your master, you are his servant. So everything that you do is in his name. What does it mean? It means in union with him. We talked about that, right? You are united with Christ, that everything, including what we say and what we do, should be governed by the consideration of what it means to live in the realm of the risen Christ. His death is your death, right? His life is your life, his death is your death, his resurrection is your resurrection. When he died by faith, you died with him. When he rose by faith, you rose with him. And let that be the consideration. Let that be a ruling, governing reality for everything that happens. That's in the name of the Lord Jesus. What about as his follower, as his disciple, as his representative? Paul speaks of himself as as an ambassador. We have a king. He has a kingdom. That kingdom is active, yet we do not fully see that rule. So we are ambassadors in a foreign kingdom, ambassadors for the true kingdom. And we are to live as that, proclaiming that message of reconciliation. A disciple is is a follower, is a learner, like an apprentice, doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So learning the methods of Christ likeness from God's word by his spirit and then living them out. And also doing everything in the name of Jesus, I think includes that we do it for his praise and for his glory, not for us, but for him. And we are seeking to live so that the name and the reputation of Jesus can be flown over your life like a banner and display who he is. And it's easier to just say, I'm starting my car in the name of Jesus than it is to actually start your car in the name of Jesus. But we do this by his power through his spirit. Philippians 4, 13, Paul speaks of difficult things and says, I can do all of things. I I can do all these, everything. I can do it through him who strengthens me, who makes that possible and and allows that reality. So in the name of Jesus, uh, it's from him, and it's through him and it's to him for his glory. Do everything in the name of Jesus and give thanks for everything through Jesus. Thanks, thanksgiving, thankfulness is a more, is one of those terms that we all get uh, until you have to put a definition to it. So I looked it up, 
right? Dictionaries, that's what they're for. So I looked up what is thankfulness and it said a spirit of gratitude. I was like, that sounds kind of more like a synonym, but okay. Uh, what's the definition of gratitude? Expressing thankfulness. I said, I see what you did there, but it didn't help me. You just gave me two identical words. What is thankfulness? Uh, I did find a dictionary that helped a little bit more. It said showing appreciation for a kindness that has been shown. That, that helped me at least thinking about that. Maybe gratitude uh, gets that across. Appreciation for a kindness. See, thanksgiving is acknowledging that you have received a gift, a specific something that is good, uh, something that you didn't deserve and something that you wouldn't have otherwise gotten. Uh, I bought my own birthday present this year. Um, it's fairly common these days, I think, actually. Uh, I give Leanne credit for it because uh, she said I could do it. Uh, but I found the person selling it and I contacted them and I went and picked it up. And then I said thank you to her <laughs> for the gift. And she's like, but really, is it? And I just choose that it is. But it's a specific gift I wouldn't have otherwise gotten. And in that case, I probably would have just otherwise gotten it anyway, but uh, don't tell her I said that. Just right there. Thanksgiving requires us to admit our dependence or our need or the lack that we had that this gift met or satisfied. A, a real, true gift. Thanksgiving requires an object and it requires an audience. Have we ever thought about Thanksgiving this much? I don't know. But I want to try to help parse this out because I think it's important. The people in our day, in about, what, a month or so, everybody's going to be talking about being thankful. Um, but we can ask these questions, and don't do it mean, but uh, ask it yourself, ask it at your family gatherings, ask it wherever else. Uh, you can't be thankful if there's not something that you're thankful for and someone that you're thankful to. It's not broad. I just have, I'm just thankful. It's like, okay, that's wonderful. What are you thankful for? What is the specific gift? And every gift requires a giver. Who are you thankful to? That's what I mean by an object and an audience. Someone and something we are thankful to and for. Thanksgiving is meant to be expressed specifically like that. So you don't just get to sit down in a few weeks and be like, I'm just thankful. For what? For everything. That's cheating. Don't do that. Identify specific things that you are thankful to God and to others for. I think it is best probably to speak it out loud, but that's not a law, right? Uh, you can be thankful just inside, but it, I think it's a good practice to say out loud, I am thankful to God or to someone else for this specific thing that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Right, that this is a gift. This is a kindness that I want to show an appreciation for. Thankfulness is a learned discipline. Thankfulness is a Christian virtue, which means it's not disconnected from everything that Paul has been saying in Colossians chapter 3. Thankfulness is something that we are to put on. As God's beloved ones who are holy and uh, or chosen ones who are holy and beloved and forgiven, we are to put on thankfulness or gratitude or appreciation for kindness. 
Uh, hopefully that reminds you that we talked about those four R's of faith-fueled repentance, that we're recognizing our sin and removing it. Our minds are being renewed and we are replacing our sin. So when it comes to giving thanks, there are a few different sins that we can recognize uh, that must be removed and replaced as our minds are renewed. Complaining. The opposite of thankfulness. Instead of showing appreciation for a kindness or a gift that, it is, that has been given, complaining is taking something very specific and seeing it as something that is only bad. Right? I, I, really, it, it addresses there is someone that you are complaining to and something that you are complaining about. It really is the opposite of that. Like, oh, this thing, this wasn't a kindness. This was bad. This made life worse, not life better. This created a need or a lack rather than meeting it. We need to put off complaining. If we are to give thanks to God, the Father, through him, really for everything. We also need to put off um, an ignorance or a forgetfulness. Boy, these two are both just so very common in all of us and me. Uh, just failing to recognize that as the Bible tells us you know, or asks us, what, what do you have that you have not received? What did you do just for yourself? Right? But we're, we, we live in an ignorance of the number of gifts that we received or we're, we're very forgetful. We either complain or we take it for granted. That's that forgetfulness. There's also this sense of self-sufficiency that, that wars against thankfulness. Self-sufficient, it's independence. Uh, that type of a spirit, that type of a mindset that says, I don't need anything from anyone else. I have nothing to be thankful for because I've done everything that I need. I am all that I need. In biblical terms, to insist on one's self-sufficiency is an act of idolatry. To give thanks, by contrast, is to acknowledge one's dependence on the creator. Thus, to transfer the center of one's concern to God, a quote that I had from this week, right? So, are you enough? Or are you not enough? Thankfulness admits, owns, embraces I am not enough. To be like, I am enough, pushes us away from God. Now, God's not the one who's going to tell me in his time and by his will the difference between good and evil. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take, I'm going to learn that on my own. I'm, I'm hungry. I want some bread. You know, I'll, I'll turn these stones into bread. I'll act according to my own interest and my own need. And we see Jesus, no, I'm going to live in dependence on God and submission to his will, even if it means starving. And we see that difference between the garden and the wilderness of Jesus' temptation. Putting off self-sufficiency, putting off arrogance. Well, what's the difference between this? Like, I don't, I don't need help from anybody. I think arrogance takes it into a being deceived, into thinking that you deserve what you have. You deserve it as payment, rather than graciously receiving it as a gift. It's like, well, yeah, I have this. This came from God. Of course it did. Have you been paying attention to my life? I deserve everything that I've received, right? This, this swelling pride in our hearts of arrogance. God has given me what I deserve. Ah, oh, sinful deception. No, you have never received what you deserve from God. May you all never 
receive what you deserve from the hand of God because I want you to be recipients of his mercy. We, we have not received, he has not treated us as our sins deserve. So we have complaining and, or forgetfulness. We have a self-sufficiency and an arrogance. But really, there's another, we could say another ditch. There's another sin to put off, which really can, can uh, demonstrate itself in a, in a hopeless, joyless despair. Failing to see the goodness of God in your life. Failing to acknowledge the ample generosity of his gifts toward you. This kind of takes forgetfulness a little bit further. You know, it's a, um, I have never received anything good. We, we, we do know that that's like, that's a blindness to the control of God over our lives, right? That's something that we need to be rescued from, that we need to, to have put off, that we would, right? Instead of just kind of closing it in, it's just there is, there is no light. Um, the psalmists experienced that. We experience that, but, but thankfulness, right? Putting us back in reference to God is a way that God can deliver us from this. We put that off as we put on thankfulness. And these responses of thankfulness, they are easy. Oh, no, sorry. Didn't understand my own notes. The responses of complaining and forgetfulness and self-sufficiency and arrogance and despair are easy responses and they are normal responses, but they are sinful responses. Think about this. Just imagine uh, your, your week or your life or your sphere of relationships. How common is profound and regular thankfulness? Maybe not even profound. Just uh, how normal is it in your life and in your interactions to just come across someone or have it flow out of you that just on every ordinary thing, appreciation for kindness shown by God. How much easier is it? How, what, the gut instinct is complaining or forgetting or self-sufficiency. How, how strange does it seem to us when we come across a thankful person? Like mentioned buying a can of tomato sauce or whatever at, at, at Aldi. Uh, if the line is going slow, and Aldi is amazing at running their lines through quick, right? I mean, if you were at Kroger, you'd be there for an hour. Or Walmart, you'd, for the rest of your life. But Aldi, I mean, they move it quick. And so if you have to wait 30 seconds before you put your stuff on the conveyor belt, people are looking at you like, Whew. and then you get up and the cashier is just running that thing through like it's an Olympic event, apologizes to you because there's a default expectation that we're going to be upset. To where if it's just like, you look at somebody who's waiting in line for a really long time and they have a smile on their face, you're like, are they okay? <laughs> it's, it's like, what's wrong with them? That they're not upset. Why aren't you complaining? Are you okay? What, this freak? <laughs> That's how we, we just, complaining becomes normal. Uh, it shouldn't be normal among us as the people of God. And we should put it off. We should repent of it, and we should pursue thankfulness in everything that we do. And thankfully, we are not alone in our thankfulness. Thankfully, right? It is a fruit, so it's an evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. And it's something that we grow in and we, and we learn to express over time. We give thanks for everything through Jesus. Who do we give thanks to? What does it say? Who do we give thanks to? 
God the Father. Recognize the profoundness of that simple statement, I hope. God the Father. God our Father. God is in perfect, eternal control of the entire universe. Everything that has happened, is happening, will happen. His decree of his will, his eternal plan continues to proceed exactly as he ordained it without any variations. We talked about that a little bit today during training hour. Whatever may fall, whether it's a sparrow from a tree or a hair from your head, it does not happen outside of God's will or plan. And that's not an impersonal because we're not talking about anything impersonal at all. We're talking about something intensely personal. God, who is our father, planning and carrying out his plan for every minute, moment by moment detail of our lives. And so what we give thanks for is that which God is in control of. We give thanks to our father, we give thanks for everything because everything is in God's control. Everything comes from his hand. And we don't just see that in this passage. Uh, We see that in Philippians chapter four. We read that this morning. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We see this in in uh, what we call a sister passage for Colossians, Ephesians chapter five. Be filled with the spirit giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This this same sentiment, this same idea, uh, rephrased, communicating the same thing. And then the passage that you probably have memorized, it's, it's pretty easy to memorize. I mean, practically six words, depending on the translation. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Comprehensive. So try to, what, what am I saying? Hopefully this is just clear, obvious. We should verbally acknowledge in prayer to God that everything in our lives has come from his fatherly hand to us, his beloved children as part of his perfect sovereign plan. Verbally acknowledge in prayer to God that everything in our lives has come from his fatherly hand to us, his beloved children, as part of his perfect sovereign plan. That's my restatement. Not that Paul needed it. That's my restatement of what he's saying here. And as I thought about that this week, is how huge that is. How comprehensive the command and how far I am from uh, fulfilling it or obeying it and probably how far from obeying that and putting that on how far you probably are. Uh, But I was encouraged, instead of being discouraged by that, I was encouraged in thinking about we are are learning thankfulness. Uh, We are growing in thankfulness. We have, we have put on the perfect thankfulness of Jesus 
And now we need to be transformed into being thankful like Jesus, just like every other virtue in our lives. But if we're learning it, then there uh, it starts small and then moves bigger. It becomes more complicated. That's, what I, that's how I thought through this. So how can you become thankful in everything? We start by giving thanks for the obvious good things. This is where we start off, uh, which is a step in my life and probably in your life to verbally acknowledge to God, our Father, that he has brought the good things, the obvious good things in our lives. Uh, Life and health and and safety. Uh, This last week or the week before, um, Leanne was coming home from, bringing the girls home from dance, I believe it was, coming down Hurricane Creek Road uh, in the dark with her headlights on, paying attention, she's a good driver, when a car swerved out of the other lane into her lane head on and then missed them barely over to the side of the road. And when I came home and I heard that story, I I acknowledged the kindness of God in giving safety to my wife and and daughters, Uh, that we were at home hugging rather than on the way to the hospital. Kindness to us and kindness to this other stranger that I don't know, that also uh, I trust got home safely. Right? We, we, that's an obvious good thing. Easy. But are we thankful for those obvious good things? Are we thankful for the obvious good of salvation? Maybe we should have started there. <laughs> Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Uh, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. This is still all praise. This is still all thanksgiving. In him, in the beloved son, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Do we start each day saying, I'm thankful for the most obvious good, which is the forgiveness that we have in Christ that we do not deserve. The biggest, the greatest gift, the gift that opens up all other gifts to us. Are we thankful for that? To God for salvation. We thankful for the Bible. (laughs) Another kind of obvious one, but as we read, um, hopefully regularly, hopefully we, we dig into this, which is an expression of gratitude, but are we thankful for this? Are we thankful for the freedoms that we enjoy more than just at a few holidays? We gather and none of us are expecting uh, Hurricane City Police to come in and break this up or West Virginia State Police. Uh, Maybe not freedoms that we will always enjoy. Certainly not freedoms that the people of God have enjoyed, but we have that. Are we thankful for just the obvious good? Sometimes of the year we are. Other times of the year we take it for granted and that's that forgetfulness. Uh, thankful for family and friends. And just thankful for each other. Uh, thankful that Keith and Timothy are back. And Keith was back in office this week. So just get lonely and uh, need somebody to talk at, too. At. Thankful for a good brother, a good friend. Thankful for, for Leanne and my kids, mom and dad. For, for you, for, for Robbie and the Bennetts and the, the Clemens. Just all of you. Insert your name here. I just go by name, but it, make the sermon longer. I mean all of you. We start off by giving thanks for the obvious good things. 
Uh, but then we grow, right? That's the start. Really, that's the easiest. Then we grow by giving thanks for ordinary things. So much of life is ordinary. And we can be tempted to think that God is not honored in the ordinary or that the ordinary doesn't come from God to us. We can, be, we can think that God is only honored or that the only things that come to us are the, the really good things, maybe in just the spiritual things that we, we do for the glory of God, the special spiritual stuff, and then there's the rest that just sort of has to happen. And so we should only give thanks for spiritual things. That's worship, but then there's the ordinary stuff that just sort of has its own category. But we really need to break down this, this pedestal, this wall that we've set up that divides sacred or spiritual things, sacred spiritual things over and above secular or unspiritual things. So ask yourself these questions honestly. Which work pleases God more, a plumber or a preacher? Medical missions or mothering? Accompanying congregational singing or a high school show choir? See, we've been somehow trained, and I would say deceived, into thinking that it's the preacher and the medical missionary and the church pianist that that's what honors God, and the other stuff is just sort of ordinary things that happen in our lives. But think about that. Most of God's children are not called by him to some sort of vocational or public ministry. All of us are called to ministry, but most of us are not called to spend most of our time studying and preaching. Does that mean that God has robbed himself of receiving glory in the lives of most of his people? Or can plumbing be done to the glory of God? Plumbing can be done to the glory of God. And preaching can be done not to the glory of God. Right? That's the distinction that we need to set up to where, where worship flows out of and in ordinary things in life. So the only time, it's not that the only time that you're pleasing to God in your life is the hour and a half that we sit here, or two and a half hours or three hours, whatever. Not the gatherings that long, but the whole day. No, like the, you glorifying God follows you out and follows you everywhere else so that you in the name of the Lord Jesus are doing all of those things in word or in deed. Read this quote this week. There are no unsacred moments. There are only sacred moments and moments we have forgotten are sacred. That's important. Because are we giving, if we're giving thanks to God for everything and doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, means that he's at work in that and pleased in that. And praised in that. That quote came from a forward from this book, Every Moment Holy, as I highly recommend to you, uh, called Liturgies for Everyday Life. Liturgies, a, a, an organized prayer. So ordinary things that we give thanks for, like food and drink, and we say thanks, but do we mean thanks? <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for this food and everything. Uh, good day. Amen. Right. Are we actually thankful? <laughs> Uh, are we thankful for rest and work? Are we thankful for music, uh, for rain and for wind, for leaves falling, uh, for laundry, for dishes, for cooking, for mowing or raking, and then raking again, and then raking again? Are we thankful for changing diapers, ordinary things? Let me read to you a little bit here. 
let's start off with a, this, this crosses the line really between from ordinary to good. It's called a liturgy for the ritual of morning coffee. Meet me, O Christ, in this stillness of morning. Move me, O Spirit, to quiet my heart. Mend me, O Father, from yesterday's harms. From the discords of yesterday, resurrect my peace. From the discouragements of yesterday, resurrect my hope. From the weariness of yesterday, resurrect my strength. From the doubts of yesterday, resurrect my faith. From the wounds of yesterday, resurrect my love. Let me enter this new day aware of my need and awake to your grace, O Lord. Amen. I get my cup of coffee, then I sit down and I start worshiping. Or I start worshiping as I make my coffee. And then I go sit and read and pray, and then I continue worshiping. Which one is it? There's a liturgy for laundering. This guy thinks more about stuff than I've ever thought about anything. May I recall in this needful parable of soil and rags, of soap and water and cleansing, the work which you have done for your people, O Christ, and the work which you are now doing in me. Even as the waters are agitated and churned, stir by your Holy Spirit my heart and memory and conscience. Open my eyes to see my own faults, my own weaknesses, the harms I have caused and the griefs I have inflicted. Not so that I would sit in an impassable guilt, but so that I would be stirred to fresh repentance, to the making of amends where amends can be made, and to prayer and trust that your spirit might cleanse those things which I have stained by my own selfishness, bitterness, jealousy, pride, or impatience. Even as I draw the freshly laundered clothes from the basin, may the sight and the scent of a new cleanness remind me of the righteousness that is now mine of the ongoing forgiveness that you extend, of your work on my behalf, which is both finished and forever ongoing and necessary in this life. In Christ, you have declared me righteous, yet by your spirit, I pray you would ever continue to cleanse me, sanctifying me that my aroma day to day and week to week might be more and more like that of Christ. And then the, uh, I want to say the tour de force, a liturgy for changing diapers. There's two of them, actually, because he says there are many diapers that must be changed. Heavenly Father, now I'm not sure exactly how you're supposed to, like diaper changing is a two-handed job, uh, sometimes a three-handed job, so I don't know if you're supposed to have this up. Maybe, maybe you read it before the day starts, but Heavenly Father, in such menial moments as this, the changing of a diaper, I would remember this truth. My unseen labors are not lost, for it is these repeated acts of small sacrifice that, like bright, ragged patches, are slowly being sewn into a quilt of loving kindness that swaddles this child. I am not just changing a diaper. By love and service, I am tending a budding heart that, rooted early in such grace-filled devotion, might one day be more readily inclined to bow to your compassionate conviction knowing itself then as both a receptacle and a reservoir of heavenly grace. So this little act of diapering, though in form sometimes felt as base drudgery. Can I get an amen on that? Maybe don't. 
might be better described as one of 10,000 acts by which I am actively creating a culture of compassionate service and selfless love to shape the life of this family and this beloved child. So take this unremarkable act of necessary service, O Christ, and in your economy, let it be multiplied into that greater outworking of worship and of faith, a true investment in the incremental advance of your kingdom across generations. Open my eyes that I might see this act for what it is from the fixed vantage of eternity, O Lord, how the changing of a diaper might sit upstream of the changing of a heart how the changing of a heart might sit upstream of the changing of the world. Amen. When we're looking for God's hand in something, we will find it because the Holy Spirit will graciously help us to find it. But are we looking in plumbing and in laundry and in coffee and in diapers? Are we looking for God is at work and this is a gift from him to me? And then we take it to the next level, good things, ordinary things, unpleasant things. Whatever reveals your weaknesses and the sin of your heart, traffic, bills, sickness in a foreign airport, I've been there, disobedient kids, missed opportunities, unmet expectations, frustrating chair deliveries, these are trials for the perfecting of your faith, the fulfillment of your joy, and it's opportunities for God to display his grace and strength in you and through you and for you. There's a liturgy for experiencing road rage because we need to give thanks in traffic. Reminded as, as uh, Elise was reading um, Hiding Place, the story of Corey Ten Boom recently, the giving thanks in the concentration camp for the fleas. Do you remember? Right? Do I have the story right? Lice, sorry. I had lice. Ugh. That's an evil word in a hair. Both, just all of the pests. Right? There's no way we could give thanks for this. And if you remember the story, because of the lice or because of the fleas, the guards left them alone. Even in this, that which seemed like an, an evil, an unpleasant thing was a kindness of the Lord in disguise. And so they were right to give thanks. And thankfully, God allowed them to see on the other side of that, that he had been doing something. About Paul's thorn in the flesh from 2 Corinthians 12. Be Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, traveling around Europe, planting churches and preaching the gospel. And whatever this thorn was, an eyesore, some other type of sickness, was hindering his ministry, or so he thought. So Lord, deliver me from this unpleasant thing that's keeping me from the gospel ministry. And the Lord said, I actually put that there so that you and your weakness would know that my grace is sufficient for you. Maybe Paul needed to be reminded in humility that yes, you may be an apostle, but you're my apostle and your spirit is at work. My spirit is at work in you and through you. My strength is actually made perfect in your weakness. There's a liturgy for one who has suffered a nightmare. Do we, do we comfort our children or do we take them to the Lord in prayer to direct their thinking? It's not just good dreams that come from the Lord. He's in control of the troubling things as well. 
all of it to draw us to him. So we give thanks for good things, for ordinary things, for unpleasant things. And then we get to the, the crux of it. By God's grace and with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can even give thanks for bad things, for evil things. And as Keith put it to me this week, this is a miraculous thanksgiving. This is, this is the line where we're convinced thankfulness stops and something else must take its place. But I think of Job. You remember the story of Job? Loved the Lord, righteous before the Lord. His children were murdered. His possessions plundered. Every good thing and every ordinary thing that he had in life stripped away in a moment. Job arose in grief, tore his robe in grief, shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. He recognized this is from God to me. Then he gets sick, right? A horrible illness of boils and things. And his wife tells him to just stop, to just give it up, curse God and die. He said to her, shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? Receive. That's a, that's a gift word, the giving term. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And then you get to the end, and this is the, the amazing aspect of Job, that we know more than Job does. And at the end of it, right, the whole, right? So Job does the right thing. Job is, I say, this is worshipful thankfulness, acknowledging God's hand is active in his life. A God who was kind and good to him, who had blessed him and yet also took away those same blessings. So Job is acknowledging all of that, continues to grieve, goes from, right, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, shall we receive good and not evil, to, as his grief continues to sit and weigh on his heart, like, I wish I had never been born. Job is not perfect. Job needs to learn. Then he calls to God, God, let's talk. What is going on? Yes, you did this. Why? Like, what did I do? Because I didn't do anything, right? So, so yes, he didn't sin with his lips, uh, and then his heart, starts to sit on it a little bit, and he doesn't understand. And at the end of that book, Job still never has the picture. God provides no explanation to Job. God offers him no apology. And God offers no apologies to his people because God does not do anything wrong. God makes no mistakes. He had every right to use Job as a test case for his glory in receiving suffering through faith. God was right to do that. And that was from God for Job's good. Job acknowledged that in worshipfulness at the end. I asked for an explanation that I don't deserve because I'm not God. See this with Joseph in Genesis 50, right? We see, as for you, you meant evil against me. God meant it for good. 
we can see like hints of this sometimes. I remember one of the more, uh, well, it used to be one of the more heartbreaking experiences in our lives when I, I was candidating for a pastor at a church in Michigan. Uh, really excited about what the Lord had for us in that. Uh, looking at apartments for us to be able to, to move there. Uh, and the Lord said, no, they voted me down. Um, like, yeah, we, we cried outside of that Fazoli's and on our way back from Lansing to Detroit where we lived. And then we were like, well, what else, you know, what are we going to do now? I really don't like this candidating process, graduated with my MDiv. What does the Lord have for us? <laughs> this is what the Lord had for us. I have no desire to go to Lansing. God had us to be here, right? The Lord took away what the Lord gave, right? And that, that could be a little bit easier. So I ah, had just a job, you know? You know, I also remember we talk about this sometimes. These are personal examples, but uh, in between, or after Juliet was born, that same time, rather just before that, my senior year, in uh, seminary, my last semester, uh, we, we had a miscarriage. Uh, we lost Riley. Uh, we were excited about Riley. Uh, we were excited to meet him or her, probably her, just, you know, by the statistical odds of the rest of the pregnancies. Um, the Lord had given us Elise. The Lord gave us Juliet. The Lord gave us Riley. The Lord took away Riley. And oh, that was heartbreaking. It was a hard loss. Um, but if... We always just kind of think through this. Like, I look forward to meeting Riley, uh, holding Riley, loving Riley. Would I trade Riley for, for Adele and for, for Mia, though? Like, what if that was a, a choice? Like, I, that's just outside of my wisdom to do that. It's like, oh, did you love Riley more than you loved Adele? No. Like, no part of me was glad to have lost that one baby, but like without that loss, I don't, I don't get her. Um, I wouldn't, I didn't, wouldn't, wouldn't trade Riley for it, but I wouldn't trade Adele for anything. Do you see? Like, it's like, God, you are, you are, you are doing something. Like, and I don't, I don't know. And you know, both of those examples, right? Just kind of like, ah, oh, bad thing, but a good thing. Um, that we know and that we see and that we experience. And that doesn't always happen. Job did not see Right? It does, like God does bless him again, but God just doesn't answer. And there are things that we just don't have answers to. But I believe that they're from God. I believe that God is good because he has revealed himself to be such. So I believe that the bad things that come from God's hand into our lives are not ultimately bad. How on earth do we give thanks for everything like that? How, how on earth do we take worse things than that? And there are worse things. And give thanks to God. And it is, it is through Jesus. We give thanks to God the Father through Christ, by faith. We take into account the truth that Jesus has entered into our lives, God with us, and entered into our suffering that he sympathizes with our suffering and weakness because he became truly human like us and he lived a life as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, who in his sufferings bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. So Christianity is not just a life of 
blessed, happy optimists. A life of, of suffering following a suffering savior. And when I say by faith, I mean by trusting as true what cannot be seen. Sometimes it's just wait and here on earth you see. Right? I could talk to my 10-year-old, or not 10-year-old, 10 years ago self and be like, don't worry about Lansing. Like God's going to do something better that you're going to be so thrilled by. Right? Or it could come and be like, oh, be comforted in, the, in this loss because like, look down the road. You're not just going to have these three children. You're going to have these six children and, and, and look at the blessing of that. And then sometimes there's just nothing that we can see. And there's no answer and there's no replacement of good. Sometimes there just isn't. How can you say, you might be asking, I hope you are, how, how can you say that we should thank God in light of whatever's in your mind. What good could there possibly be in that or from that? And that is such a good question and it's such a hard question and I don't know the answer. I don't know the good caused by that. Talking to some folks this week, like the Holocaust, right? One of the greatest, most profound evils that, that we have such documented evidence of in Western civilization. Not the only just a huge document. So, so where was God in that? This is like, well, God was, was ruling and reigning. And I don't know. So what, what was the good? What's the good in millions? And I, don't, I don't know. But I long to trust my good and loving God. I long to trust my heavenly father in all that he does. And I long for you to trust your good and loving father, your heavenly father who does all things well. That's what I mean by faith. Not that you might see it or if you think hard enough, but one day. I heard one pastor say, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life and you may be aware of three of them. You know, who has known the mind of the Lord? What, what was the good for Job? I don't know, but I'm, I'm thankful for what Job went through because God has used that for his people. And not just because better stuff happened for Job, but I'm just glad that he suffered. And I'm not trying to be sadistic in that. But it's like we're in a broken, fallen world where suffering happens. I'm thankful that the Bible is just rife with those examples. Psalmists crying out, how long? The psalmists in the darkness of waves just crushing over them, trying to cling to hope, but, but barely finding it. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that that's a gift from God to me. We remember in Colossians chapter 1 that Christ is making all things right, reconciling to himself all things. So I believe that by faith, that Jesus is ruling over the evil that comes into our lives. And I would rather be confused by a God who is in control of everything than I would following an idea of God who's not. Right? That's a, there's a, a, a barrier to that. How, how could God do this? I could never trust a God who, be careful, be careful. Um, people try to take comfort in God being less than God. There is no comfort in God being less than God. 
it is better for you to follow the God of the Bible who brings evil things into the lives of his people, calls for them to trust him, than it is to follow a God who just comes alongside of you and is really sorry but couldn't have done anything. I'd rather have an omnipotent, sovereign God that I don't understand his ways uh, than an impotent God who couldn't do anything about it. That is less than the God of the Bible, less than the one that we worship. We don't just need like a, a hug. We get a hug. We don't just need that. We need sovereignty. Write this down. I was going to read it. What do, what do you guys think? You want me to read it? Okay. Paul knew suffering. Uh, stoned and betrayed and left for dead and cold, too cold, too, co- too hot, too hungry. And he said this, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Hope that is seen, if you get it all, That's not hope. Who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We don't wait alone because the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these evil things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure by faith, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, 
nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Just, just grab that truth. Whate'er my God ordains is right. How fitting that this verse follows Paul's exhortation to let the word of Christ dwell richly in us through singing. When we feel dull in worship, we can call to mind all that God has done, uh, is doing, and will do. And we respond with thankfulness when it's good, uh, when it's ordinary, when it's unpleasant. And the spirit in us by God's grace is sufficient for us to look to God when evil comes only through Christ, but through Christ. Father, please take your word and minister your grace to your people. We know but a a fraction of your ways. We know that you are good. Give us faith to believe that you are good. And we know that you love us we are your beloved ones. Give us faith to believe that we are loved by you. We are chosen by you for a good purpose and that you do all things well. And you will be glorified in every evil thing that happens in this world. Only you could accomplish that by your perfect sovereign power. Amen.